John Belushi, Jake Blues. Dan Aykroyd, Elwood Blues, the Blues Brothers. They smell bad. You are such a disappointing pair. You contemptible pig. You better pray the police get to him before we do. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, the Blues Brothers, a musical comedy rated R. Welcome everyone to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and those sparks that fly when the two worlds combine. My name is Steve Guntley, and I'm so glad you made it. I'm so glad you made it. Give me some loving. Yeah, of course, I can't do this by myself. I need you, you, you. There's only two people, but I'm pointing back and forth at them. Who are the people I am indicating? Hi, I'm Justin, and I only got pointed at once, and I feel sad. <laughs> Uh, if I could make a whip crack sound, uh, I'd then make that uh, cha-ching. Uh, that's not where it is. Uh, uh, no, no, that's what a whip makes. That's the sound a whip makes. I remember that in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones goes, cha-ching. <laughs> I'm J-Fan. Is that uh, that TikTok guy that does the, the whip songs? It's That's it. Cha-ching, oh, cha-ching, that guy, that whip, that whip guy is amazing. If you guys yeah. haven't seen the whip guy, he performs at Renaissance festivals and does whip cracks to song lyrics um and it's pretty amazing that is a niche ability and i always it always makes me happy when somebody finds like a market for their really bizarre skill <laughs> i'm like oh you can do this with a whip good for you uh, uh you can speed run the blues brothers nes game <laughs> i hope Man. that person is a millionaire because they really <laughs> helped us out with this because today we are talking about the Blues Brothers. That's right. It's the beginning of another little mini series, another little two movie mini series where we're going to be covering both films in the Blues Brothers series, and we're going to play the games associated with both of them. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, Blues Brothers, that that musical comedy from the 1980s that has a video game adaptation? Why, yes, it sure does. Uh, we're going to get all the way into that. Uh, but first, let's talk about the movie The Blues Brothers, which was released June 20th, 1980. It's directed by John Landis and written by Landis and Dan Aykroyd. And it stars John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Cab Calloway, Kathleen Freeman, Carrie Fisher, Henry Gibson, John Candy, and the Blues Brothers Band with appearances by uh, James Brown, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, John Lee Hooker, many, many more. Um, it's a jam-packed, wild movie. Now, this is, if my count is correct, this is my third time podcasting about the Blues Brothers. We did it recently over at um, uh, patreon.com slash laser time for uh, 80s in depth. We talked about the Blues Brothers and then two other John Landis movies. I don't know why we went on a John Landis kick, given that the man uh, is kind of a murderer. But um, we what? Uh, well, all right. Murderers <laughs> may be strong. He's a manslaughterer. Um, what? <laughs> There was an incident on the set of Twilight Zone, the movie, uh, where basically John Landis oh. had some young actors. This is the and This is the helicopter crash. Vic Morrow okay. and two young actors were killed I, in a plane, uh, a helicopter crash. Uh, they were not supposed to be out filming at that time. Uh, yeah. It was it was messed up. I, I remember hearing about that. And I think we've even referenced this once before. And I just forgot. I, Me and names aren't great. So no, I was like, who is this person? What? Yeah. Yeah, John Landis has uh, his career has not really been thriving lately, and I think there's kind of a good reason for that. I think people eventually went off of him, but the Blues Brothers is kind of a jam. Like it's kind of a it's kind of a fun ass movie. Um, it was a movie I've kind of gone back and forth on a lot, and I think I finally cracked it. I'm gonna kind of repeat a point I made on that other podcast, but I think I finally cracked how to enjoy the Blues Brothers. I was we were debating whether or not this counts as an SNL movie and I think that it counts as an SNL movie not in the same way that Wayne's World does where it's like based on a sketch sketch or a sketch that's on the show. I think this movie has the exact same format as an episode of Saturday Night Live. It's two and a half hours long. It's made up of a bunch of kind of disjointed sketches that don't necessarily uh, connect or pay off in any way and the movie's interrupted frequently by musical performances. 
It's just a long episode of SNL, and I think that's the way to best enjoy this movie. That's my I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hang my hat on that one. It is kind of a fair point. There was a few scenes where I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> that's the reaction you want. Like they when when the band finds out that the proceeds from the concert are going to be used to pay off the thingamahoo. They all go, what? Like, incredulously. And then no one references it again. There's no, like, outrage, whatever. Uh, he just moves on to the next thing. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's it's very disjointed. And, like, I've always been really vocal against having comedies be longer than two hours. Like, they should always <laughs> be 90 minutes on the dot. And this is a very long comedy. Um, I think this movie... So... I'm sort of torn and conflicted. I don't know. We haven't started talking about how like this movie affected our lives. Please. I have a lot to say about this. Go for it. Um, I don't know. So <laughs> let's start about first before we get into it. So uh, can uh, I go first? Because mine's going to yeah, be short and yeah, significantly less impactful. Um, I, you know, I thought I had seen this movie when I was a kid. Uh, not when I was a kid, but in the previous times. Hmm. But in fact, I had seen Blues Brothers 2000 and not this one. <laughs> so this movie impacted me not at all because I watched it two hours ago. Okay. All right. Well, two hours ago, I'm sure you enjoyed it <laughs> yeah. to a certain degree. How about you, J-Man? J-Man's probably got a lot more to say about it. <laughs> I grew up with this movie, both this movie and uh, Blues Brothers 2000, and introduced me to blues music. And I don't mean... So it's really interesting. The soundtrack behind the soundtrack is better than the soundtrack. Mm. Uh, so like the um, interstitial music in between the things are so good. Uh, you've got Sam Cooke. You've got so many great blues classics that are just just riveting and unbelievable. Uh, and then you've got a really solid um, like blues soundtrack uh, with the likes of like it's a swing not blues but cab calloway's many the moocher mm. like oh my god like i was in it and i still remembered every single lyric from every single song uh i got these cds uh and again i'm old enough where i had to have cds we did not have the spotify uh when i was a child um and so like i, I played them so much that i wore them out uh which was hard with the cd yeah um and it's just like I really love this movie, uh, and I, it had such nostalgic feelings for me. Like the first time, like hearing "Boom Boom" by John Lee Hooker. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Like it's just it's mind blowing um, for the first time, and to see to see him perform. Uh, but it's just so much. Um, it's such a fun ride, but at the same time, like I think a musical or a comedy, generally speaking, should be around ninety minutes. Yes. All right. So you're with me on that one. This is if they cut no no throw all of 60. the charge all of the car chases. I think they would have had it at ninety minutes. But here's the thing: like when I watch the movie, I don't know what necessarily I would cut because like i said it is very disjointed but all the individual bits are pretty fun on their own so i'll say uh from from the moment i started watching this i actually started noticing little moments here and there and it's honestly a lot of the interstitial moments is like it'll be just like some music in the background and then we'll get to people and then they'll have to explain something in the back like at the very beginning when they're walking the, the the guards are walking to the cell to let Jake yes to let Jake out uh they get to his cell and then take the 20 seconds to explain that they're here to let him out not to him but to the other guard and then they let him out and I'm like they could have said that while they were walking and then let him out as soon as they got there yeah there was just a lot of little inefficient bits of where it's like this is time that like obviously you don't have to cut everything to be super fast paced but there was a lot of like dead time followed by something that could have been spoken over that dead time for sure and sped up you know 15 minutes of the movie um but then yeah i think like j-band mentioned some of the car chases were like exceptionally long like you could probably put together a 90 minute movie that is 
like a, like a bullet movie or something where it's just a lot of car chases car, and car stuff. What I would say that maybe minimum minimum they trash twenty cars, cop cars. Oh no, oh, this I movie have set the, the record at oh. one hundred and seven, one hundred and three, one hundred and three in this one. Uh, and then it was that record was not beaten until Blues Brothers 2000 when they did 104 just to just to edge out the record. And I believe they both lost now to The Matrix Reloaded because they they trashed more than 300. But you can't really tell in that movie. Like you don't in, in the Matrix movie, you can t- it looks all digital, but they really are so, trashing 300 cars. It's just you're not getting the same viscerality that you're getting. Here's with the this main movie. thing about like stunts and cars. Like you know how they do the bridge jump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's going to take like four cars. Yeah. They're going to wreck every single one of them because a car can't make that jump. It's going to hit the ground and it's going to snap in half. Yeah. You either have to do extensive work at which point the car probably isn't capable of jumping the bridge anymore. Or you cut together a bunch of different shots and you wreck four cars. Yes. And then the the fifth car is the one that drives away at the end. Well, I was just like, <laughs> you know, there's like these old um, like haphazard movies where they steal segments um, of like an old movie to put it into like um uh, oh, like TJ Maxx or something. Yeah, I feel like the the car chases are so good and the car crashes are so good. I feel like I wish they would steal this um, the car chases because like they're I don't know how they did like the big pile ups with the car like they they were it all it looked like they were there were people in there and did they just like run into each other? What so it's, it's oftentimes of- they actually had to set up a shop. Uh, like a full scale repair shop that ran twenty four seven to prepare and repair these cars because they're doing things like reinforcing things. They're adding roll cages that are hidden so you can't see it from the camera. They are changing out. They're putting in like safety devices to keep the the drivers' heads straight and like to keep them from getting whiplash when they crash them and stuff like that. And so then a lot of especially back then. A lot of those pe- those cars did genuinely have people in them, but they were modified cars specifically. They took a normal car, did some work on it so it would protect the driver in the crash. And it still wasn't, you know, great. Like, I mean, the drivers, yeah. each stunt driver probably didn't do, like, two crashes a day or whatever. They probably did, like, one and then talk to a doctor <laughs> i mean there's a reason if you see like an old stuntman from that era they usually have like an eye patch and a peg leg and like a lot of yeah. scars all over their bodies because like, they're 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 tough and they're crazy for instance the the general lee from dukes of hazard mm. the amount of dodge chargers they destroyed to film that show uh is that plus the popularity of it is directly contributed to why it became so hard to find one by like 2004 when the car was like 22 years old because they wrecked like 400 of them or something. Oh, damn. To do all of the stunts throughout the history of that show. And at the time, it was a cheap car. Yeah. So they would they just went out and bought a bunch of them. I think the police cars, I was actually reading up on this because I was curious. The police cars in Blues Brothers, they were buying for like $400 each. Oh, wow. Because um, they, they were buying them from different stuff. I want to say that there was like 15 to 20 specifically for the hero car which is the police car that the blues brothers drive um and then all of the rest of them they they were just buying them cheap at auction stuff like that they they probably had procurement specialists that just like they went to police auctions all over and bought a bunch of them brought them all to one place and they painted them all up to look exactly the same so they could crash them indiscriminately and not have to worry about like oh this one had you know this logo on it or this one's car number 400 it's like no no we paint over that there's no car numbers so we can trash them as much as we want and not have to worry about it it's honestly a really big thing they definitely are recycling some of the cars in here which i think they need to but luckily this movie had like a runaway outsized budget for a movie of this type i mean a little background on this the Blues Brothers, like, technically they did debut on SNL. Like, they debuted playing with the Howard Shore and his all-B band back in 1977 because John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd were cast members at the time. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is a lifelong blues fan. He actually owned a little uh, blues bar in 
New York around the time he was on SNL and like the cast would hang out there after hours. He introduced John Belushi to the blues and he became obsessed with it. They both started playing around in their free time. They got talked into appearing on the show in these characters. And then things kind of spun out from there. They recorded an album while they were uh, opening for Steve Martin doing a stand-up bit. And that album, it's called Briefcase Full of Blues. It went double platinum. It sold like 2 million copies and had like three hits on the top 10, something like that. It went number one on Billboard. Like it was a wildly I, I saw a album. thing, I think it was for Dan Aykroyd, that at one point, because of the Blues Brothers, he had like the number one rated TV show, the number one rated movie, and the number one rated song at the same time. This is uh, uh, Belushi. Uh, Bel- oh, Belushi. Belushi had this because this same year, Belushi was in Animal House, okay, which yeah. was uh, a massive, massive hit. And uh, so based on the strength of that and the fact that it's like, all right, clearly John Belushi is going to be a huge star. They were able to get this movie greenlit. Like the story of the Blues Brothers was actually explained in the liner in the liner notes of that album. Like, oh, you're all good. I didn't do anything. <laughs> Nothing fell. It's all good. We're <laughs> professionals here. No, but they explained the whole history of these characters in the liner notes of the album, and they built their screenplay off of that. So we complain about this movie being too long. The original draft would have been almost three times the length. Because Dan Aykroyd was hired to write the script. He'd never written a screenplay in his life before. So he wrote a 324-page treatment that was written more like a novel and less like a screenplay. And then John Landis, when he was hired as director, had to edit that down into like a workable movie and kind of repackage it as a screenplay. But uh, From what I saw, to Aykroyd's credit, he at least tried to get some people to help him with it, but each one just like happened to fall through, and he's like, fuck it. I'll do it myself. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, he he wound up being a very good screenwriter. Like he wrote um, Ghostbusters after this. Oh, oh. yeah. So like he he wound up being a very good screenwriter. But uh, Stan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters. Yes, he is. One day I'll watch Ghostbusters. We're going to do the whole series. Oh, we're going to do the whole series. Yeah, we sure are. Uh, But, you know, this movie was given like a 20 million dollar budget, which was about twice the budget the average movie was getting at this time. Like, I think it cost more than empire strikes back like oh wow it was kind of a wildly expensive movie and by the time it was done like due to all the overages and all the uh, production snafus it was closer to 30 million now to talk uh, this this is going to be probably our only chance to talk about john belushi because he only did i think like five or six movies uh there really weren't many it was animal house this 1941 neighbors continental divide and i think that's it and of those only two of them are really noteworthy but we still remember him he was a brilliant comedian you know and he died of a cocaine overdose two years after this movie came out but when he was on set he was a little erratic uh some days he would show up really focused and ready to work and they would get a lot done and some days he would literally wander off set and they would have to shut down production and go find him one time they found him in a suburban neighborhood. He just wandered over to somebody's house and was joining them for dinner. Uh, so Apparently, he was kind of known for that he at was. that point. Uh, and yeah. so, like, because I, I, again, I was just reading some stuff on it while I was watching it. And uh, there was a lot of people who had a lot of stories about partying with him during this time period. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Robin Williams claims that he was doing cocaine with him the night he died. Uh, they, they weren't together when that happened, but he said they were, they were blowing some rails uh, that night and then Belushi went off and died and uh, Williams quit cocaine forever. Cold Turkey after that. Yeah. And I like Carrie Fisher. Carrie in this Fisher. Movie, yeah. Uh, also mentioned like, yeah, he did it a lot more than I did. <laughs> and she did a lot. She and did a lot. Her, admittedly, she did a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so... Her biographies why? are great, by oh, the way. If you ever listen to her, um, her audiobooks and biographies are spectacular. She was such an incredible writer. Oh, my yeah. God. So good. So funny. So mean. So acerbic. Yeah. Oh, so acerbic. It's such a wit. Such a yeah. wit. Yeah. Oh, I love her to death. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Blues Brothers did come out and it was a huge hit when it came out. So I think everybody was breathing a sigh of relief about that one because this could have been a huge disaster. But it was very well liked. It was very popular. And it's kind of become a cult favorite ever since. Um, you know, so breaking down a bit of the movie, like we said, it's it's a, it's a long, weird kind of complex thing. And I wonder if it really has much resonance or importance for younger people now. But this was a very big boomer movie. Like, this is a very big movie for my dad's generation. 
Um, I know I've had at least two teachers at two different schools who were middle-aged men who were in a Blues, Blues Brothers cover band. And they performed it in front of the school in an assembly. That's great. Uh, so I've seen it that does. happen twice independently of each other. In, okay. The saying. tribute bands are still really popular. They really are. Yeah. Uh, which I, I don't know. Like there's there's things that I really like about the Blues Brothers, and then there's some other things that I find frustrating about the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Uh, like this is supposed to be an entryway into blues music this isn't supposed to be the be all and end all to blues music and that's what i sometimes get a little like (sighs) when like the blues brothers tribute bands are so doing so well and like i go to a blues club and there's like you know 40 people um but it's just like um yeah i don't know like uh the things that i really like love 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 about this movie is that they got actual blues musicians and soul, blues and soul yeah. musicians and they I, I know that they fought really hard because they wanted disco yeah uh, they wanted disco covers uh cab calloway uh offered to do a disco cover of Minnie the moocher oh, uh for it and, and like luckily they they landed on the old-fashioned swing version which is you know it's a work of art my um, favorite scene in the movie that's yeah, my favorite 100%. scene. 100 percent yeah um and um but yeah there is definitely a lot of pushback from them hiring um older blues musicians that um weren't you know pop stars no no and it, yeah i agree with you it is frustrating that for a lot of people this is their introduction into like blues and soul music and honestly not a whole lot of blues in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's mostly soul music or gospel music or things like that. It's mostly much more high energy and it's not really bluesy. But we do get John Lee Hooker playing Boom Boom uh, in the street and we get a little bit of Ray Charles. But even Ray Charles is playing like a very Shake peppy... Your toe. I love Shake Your Toe. Father. Oh, it's great. It's so much fun. Like anytime they break away to do a musical number, like you're, it's just kind of magical. Like I, I love all of them. Really interesting because um, like this is one of like what the top 10 musicals of all time. And yeah, box most, office wise. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't see it as a musical, which I think is really interesting, like reflection because it's a, they're masculine leads that suddenly it's not a musical anymore. Uh, what, what What's up with that? It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. But it, this is 100% a musical. They, they There are a lot of, <laughs> I think people mostly remember the scenes where they're playing on stage but they forget that they do break diegetically into song like they, all the time uh, whenever people who don't consider it a musical they they just think about all the car chases and they're like that's not a, a musical can't have a car chase <laughs> mama mia didn't have a car chase although it should have uh, chase them all around that Greek well, island. I had Pierce Brosnan, and he's been in a fair few bit of car chases. Absolutely, Colin Both Firth. Chases, I, tank chases. I, I saw those Kingsman movies. Colin Firth can handle it. Yeah. No. Oh, wait. You know. Hmm. Is it Pierce what? Brosnan that's in Mamma Mia? Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, yeah. I, for a second, I was like second guessing. Because he gets dogged on all the time for his. <laughs> for singing, uh, does Mamma Mia have a video game? It should. It does not. Okay. But it would be a kart <laughs> racer. I'm Mia. certain of that. <laughs> Mamma Mia kart. Yeah, the person who gets Mama to the Mia double dash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you race to the end to find out who the father is. Um, yeah. No. Uh, so I mean, the Blues Brothers does have a very disjointed kind of structure to it like i said we get it because it is a long time before we actually get a musical number is the aretha one the first no um it's oh, the it's james it's brown the james brown yeah um which um <laughs> uh yeah like some fantastic dancers in this movie like the dancing the chorus lines cannot be underestimated they're so spectacular yes uh the dancing in uh, shake your tail feather the dancing in um the church scene yeah uh they're all like spectacular dancers getting their legs up over their heads when uh, been, like when he did the the f- like front flips up to the the front i was like oh dear god yeah 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 i mean this... pretty imp- i know it wasn't really belushi yeah. doing that but he was like a, an athletic like big guy which uh, uh, which is why chris farley like based so much of his comedic persona off of john belushi and they they kind of occupy a lot of the same space but yeah, I mean, it, it does take a little bit for the movie to kind of tip its hat that this is like magical realism, like a, a, a wacky musical. Like they get, they speak literally to God. Like God yeah. tells them that they need to get this band together. That doesn't pay off, by the way. That really doesn't pay no, off in any. They never mention. Well, other than saying we're on a mission from God oh, all the time. Great. My God, that, that was so 
big in so yeah um i have kept i was struggling to remember what would the exact was the first time i watched this movie uh-huh. and i think it first came on my radar because the band boys who i thought were super cute uh were quoting this movie Wait, left sorry. and route the band boys in this movie like you were really into in Donna no, Duck no, the, 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 the band Marie. boys in, the, in my high school um <laughs> and they would always talk about having a mission from god and like blah 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 and i could try to think whether or not maybe i watched it in t- uh, like in class first or where but i can't for the life of me remember it but i do remember all these cute band boys be, be like quoting this movie and i was like what is this movie that all these <laughs> boys are watching and i've got to watch it i've got to be in the know with what they're quoting what's this mission from god thing going on um and so yeah eventually i watched it uh and like i know like we'll talk about the sequel next week but like they definitely uh go back into the whole mission for god thing uh and i just think it's really funny that um uh this whole movie could not like maybe not have happened if they're like yeah sure i'll take your stolen money sure if the the nun uh the nun is so scary (laughs) the nun is great kathleen freeman is uh what is her sister sister mary elephant is that what they call her Uh, no no stigmata oh the penguin yeah the penguin and her name is sister mary stigmata that's it that's it that's really good that's really good yeah, but I mean, it, it takes a while for it to build up to the point where it's a musical. And then once it tips its hand and they start bringing in these like insane ringers to do these musical bits, like, you know, the Aretha Franklin and every uh, uh, everybody like that, like the movie just hums along. I love the escalating stakes. Like the, the most of the little skits in between don't really congeal into much except when you realize how many people are chasing them by the end mm-hmm. of the movie like yeah. <laughs> the the redneck guys are after them and the illinois nazis are after them and the police are after them and everybody is after them. the fbi like they just keep acquiring enemies you know even carrie fisher is like pursuing them throughout the movie trying to kill them with <laughs> elaborate explosives you know like rocket launchers rocket in that moment like when the 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 payoff comes from that is just such like a all right cool let's go yeah and i'm like oh, okay yeah yeah they just kind of i love that they just like <laughs> shake it off like they had the entire building collapses on them and they shake it off and again that's where you're seeing the budget in this like that scene where they're in the building that collapses is spectacular. Yeah. Like, so all these car chases are spectacular. But they, you can absolutely imagine a version of this movie where they wouldn't put it together to put these car chases in there. You know, like, they don't have anything to do with anything. They don't speak about blues music. They don't speak no. about these characters. It's just John Landis wanted to do big, elaborate, difficult car chases, you know? Uh, they genuinely got a permit to drop that one car from... Like twelve thousand or twelve hundred feet in Chicago. Yeah, yeah it's and incredible. They, they were concerned about the aerodynamics of the car. They're like, "Is this is the car, is it going to like go off path? Yeah, they're going to hit a building. What's it going to do?" Yeah, Ford, but they did it. Ford Pinto, wasn't it? I think so. I think yeah. so. And they're just way over the lake and everything. And then you know you're you're okay with it happening because it's Nazis that are dying. And I've always loved you. Like, <laughs> it was a big laugh for me. I like how the other car ends up in the same hole, and then it's just like, all right, just pave right over. Yeah, yeah, just Move go for it. Day. We're good. Yeah. It was so interesting that um, there was such complaints about paying for the blues and soul talent in this when they spent so much fucking money on the car chases so and the buildings much. exploding. And, like, it was so much money. Uh, but, yeah, like, it, it was really interesting. But I think um, that... This definitely um, introduced newer generations to um, a lot of people. Some people were already obviously already super famous, like Aretha Franklin. Yeah, you know, Queen of Soul. Oh yeah. Uh, but um, it's just such a um, it's so joyful. Like, and it's really interesting because uh, I think maybe one of the reasons why people don't think of this as a musical is there's no big opening number. There's that long drawn out uh, walk. Uh, to parole yes. um, where he has a used condom in his um, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I, you gotta love Yoda picking up an old dried up condom with a pen and going one soil he sounds more like Grover in his yeah. normal speaking voice but yeah yeah 
Uh, yeah, uh, that's a, a trademark of John Landis. He likes to put a lot of director cameos in there. So that was Frank Oz. And then the patent clerk at the end of the movie was Steven Spielberg. Yeah. I thought it was Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And it drove me crazy because I pushed pause on my Amazon Prime and it didn't say anything. And I'm like, I know that's Steven Spielberg. Oh, like the I am not crazy. Thing or whatever. It yeah. Yeah. Up, yeah. Yeah. No, that was definitely him. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the thing he loves to do. But yeah, I mean, you know, the whole center part of this movie, it gets like the most like this is a movie with a couple of different like superstructures that are largely ignored in favor of gags. But like the main quest of the movie, of course, is just like getting the money together for to save this orphanage. But then you have this whole middle chunk that's all about getting the band back together. That's my favorite bit. I love that they give a little bit of screen time to all of these band members, because like you said, these are some real ass musicians. Some they, of them are like uh, uh, house musicians for SNL, like I think the the horn section. But then you have like uh, some of the uh, the bass player for Booker T and the MGs. You get well, the, the drummer for Isaac Hayes. You and get, I really yeah. feel that um, like the this is what makes the Blues Brothers, I think, such a big draw during the late 70s and early 80s is they have a fatter sound than um that with the with the horn section yeah and um they have a full-sized band which most blues um groups can't afford right um and um and just don't necessarily want to do because that's not necessarily the sound they're going for uh but i'm a sucker for a horn section um Mm -hmm. and they the horns play so well like they're really top-notch horn section um and it's just like um it's such a it's so much fun that they're going out and they're uh i I don't know it was a really weird i couldn't determine whether or not i liked the section where they were like pressuring um the maitre d guy back into um he's like this guy he's gone on like they all moved on with their lives yeah um but they're just like they're pressuring all the people into it and they're just like no i don't want to i know i don't want to and they're like come on it's the blues brothers and Um, kind of once they get absorbed back into the band they no longer are characters really like yeah like that's a good example like that's that's mr fabulous they're their trumpet player who's working as a maitre d now and they just basically come in and sabotage his job and then he joins the band and we don't really hear anything more from him except when he's playing the trumpet you know like they they just kind of get sucked up into this life and then don't become characters anymore so that whole middle chunk, ultimately, you, you could have done that in one just little shot of like, hey, hey, there's the band. Let's get them back together. Could have been a like, montage. Could have been a montage. Could have been something else. But again, it's like you ask me to make cuts and I don't really know what I want to cut because yeah. I like all those bits. I like it. Those are all individually funny. You know, I thought my favorite bit. I don't know if it's my favorite bit, but a bit that I love from the movie is I love when they're playing rawhide and stand by your man and they're even throwing more glass bottles and then when when they were bombing yeah. at that thing it was just like un like unattained like so many glass bottles being thrown at them in sorrow and success and like it was just so fucking funny and that to was me. that was their version of applause like if they really liked the song they did but again that also be, uh, supports my point that not much of the music in this movie is blues because mm-hmm. you even have a whole extended country music segment in the middle of the movie uh but yeah the yeah I, I love that those extra touches with everything there's just such an emphasis on chaos and destruction in every part there, of this movie there was the one section where they're getting to the hotel for the final thing and they're like let's sabotage all these cars mm-hmm. and you never see anything about any of that well they you, do. See, you yeah, see them they, uh try to leave and they're all the cars are smacking into each other and they do super glue the uh the rednecks uh, uh gas pedal. good old boy good old boy excuse me charles napier who i love um yeah but i mean that final in concert Rambo, is... wasn't he? Was he in Rambo? I think he was in Rambo. No, I think you're thinking of um, Richard Crenna. Maybe. Charles Napier was in a lot of, like, Jonathan Demme oh, movies. Yeah. He, he gets his face ripped off by Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, like, mark of honor right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I think the concert scene where they're finally like playing for everybody and you really get to see the Blues Brothers finally play and do their thing. The fact that they took so long to actually get to them performing yeah. really paid off. You get to see like why they're a big deal. And I have to say, like we talk about this as being Belushi's movie because he only did two films. You know, he didn't really get a chance to shine. Dan Aykroyd is like the star of this movie for mm-hmm. me. Like 100%. he's doing it everything he's dancing he's singing he's got this incredible range to his voice he's very funny he's doing all the driving like i think dan Aykroyd, elwood is the standout character for me and i think that's the best performance in the movie i think that's fair i think uh elwood is definitely the best um character in the movie he's definitely uh he's so i, I love the fact that they open with a hug between the the brothers yeah. Yeah. Um, and like him persuading him to go see the penguin because that's what he said um, and of course Cap Calloway playing Curtis you know um, and it's just like I don't know there's such there's a sweetness to him yeah I was really interesting when he was hitting on uh, the actress I think Twiggy Twiggy yeah, um, yeah. because it was just so um uh, it was just like that's a fine line between being like smooth and being creepy yeah. and yeah. he somehow Real. towed it um I you know and again I I hate saying I keep I, I know I'm I'm over editing this movie but like that's a scene you can almost cut because they don't really pay it off but again then they, you're cutting half of the female characters out of the movie they definitely are hitting uh we're not gay uh yeah like you know they didn't sleep in the same bed uh they're they're both like showing that they are into women they were really hard to show man love without uh inappropriate like not inappropriate uh but like uh at the time um romantic man love because it is kind of implied i think in the liner notes of the uh album that they're not actual biological brothers they're blood brothers that cut their fingers on the string of a steel guitar played by someone i don't remember who right yeah they're they're both orphans that were just raised in the same place and call themselves brothers but they're not actually biologically related so yeah they do try and go to pains to uh make them very straight i guess um but you know, like overall, it's it's this big sweeping messy movie. I would say watch the original cut because the the director's cut adds thirty minutes onto this. That's why oh I was god. late today. Oh my god, yeah, because <laughs> it, it's ridiculous, and I think that one's too slow. That so one's wait, way too slow. How how long is the director's cut? What is it like one seventy or something like that? It's I think really it's long. Two thirty two minutes two hours thirty minutes. Yeah, something like that. Oh. This, yeah. Well, it, I think that's the version I watched too. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's around. Because it was a two hour and thirty minute movie. How long is the normal movie? Like two hours twenty minutes. Yeah, something oh, like so that. Oh, so they added ten minutes. Yeah, around there. Minutes. But okay. they they did add some stuff. Like I almost every time, if there's an unrated or extended version, like they're adding stuff you don't really need. And speaking oh, of things we don't really need, this might be a, as good a transition as any to talk about this game. Uh, because holy shit, do we have anything else to say about the movie? I mean, we'll probably circle back, uh, I of course. I hardly think that, um, like, I would be really interested to see, um, to, to, like, I didn't have time, but I would love to see articles at the time talk about this, because, like, there was so much, uh, like, it really felt, uh, like, homage to things that, um, the blues that you love yeah uh but also like this hip like the definitely felt like this was like hip 19 late 1970s early 80s uh saturday night live because like if you go back to watch like uh during the pandemic i tried to go back and watch saturday night live from the 70s yeah uh and they have so much more music they're just so they're like they're actually trying to promote themselves as being super hip um, oh, I mean, SNL in the 70s was very punk rock. Like, that was that was like the cool thing. That was the edgy comedy show. Like, now it's become kind of institutional, but like, it was the cool hip thing at the time. But yeah, I mean, and this movie was very well liked at the time. And you do just need to keep in mind that you are watching a cover band. So if you're seeing a Blues Brothers cover band, you're seeing a copy of a copy. Yeah. You know, so like, that's which just- I, again, in the blues world, that is acceptable because so many, like, the covers. They're not covers. They're tri- tri- uh, they're they're. It's hard to say this. They're, like there's like you like 
I will listen to a hundred different versions of I Will Go Blind by Etta James because yeah. there are people who did it uh, or like all these like Catfish Blues uh, or In the Pines, which was covered by uh, originally from Lead Belly and then covered by Nirvana. Oh, I love that um, song. But there's just like, um, so like if ever any of these songs speak to you, go and listen to the five different other versions of them and you will your mind will be blown by the musicality of the blues and like the variety of the blues uh of the of both the origins and post yeah. uh of of covers that um the songs that came afterwards I so think- you're talking about uh it's a, it's a concept that i thoroughly enjoy too but it's like when it's not a cover it's an adaptation where like it's the same song, but they're doing it their own kind of particular way. And with blues, you can get uh, a lot of like interestingly in- intricate styles. Yeah, well, yeah. and because there, because there's um, in earlier in like the fifties and sixties, there's a lot of um, exploitation of the blues for the basis. Well, not exploit. I don't. It's like inspiration or exploitation. Like some of it was inspiration, some of it was exploitation uh, of the blues uh, to fuel rock bands like the Rolling Stones. Uh, but again, they, those bands were inspired by uh, Ma, um, Big Mama Thornton and mm. like people who went over uh, to one of the reasons like the British invasion existed was because of folk festivals that blues musicians played at yeah uh and and so it's um there's a it's unfortunate that a lot of the most popular versions of these songs are performed by white people yeah uh and which is really unfortunate because like uh you know you uh it's it's appropriating the culture quite a bit you know it's kind of the same way how like the 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 highest selling rapper of all time is eminem you know it feels and i think to a degree i think what jaben might be going a little towards too is that um, it's a shame that the one that everybody knows, like that we're not necessarily giving the credit as well as we probably could to the original artists because they are also super talented. And it's, it wasn't until years later when the white people kind of colonized it yeah. that yeah. the song got popular, even though it was a good song to begin with. Yeah. But I think we can all agree that the definitive version of most of these songs that we're hearing are the 8-bit NES renditions. Oh my yeah. god, I wish people would could listen to the soundtrack of this video game. It's so <laughs> weird. It's so it's bizarre. absolutely bizarre. So we, we actually went a little uh, above and beyond this week and we played two different games for the same movie because you just can't have enough video games based on the Blues Brothers apparently. Uh, but let's talk first about the NES one. It was released in September of 1992, and all both of these games are going to be developed and published by Titus France. Now, Titus is kind of an infamous company, usually considered one of the worst developers of all time. And a lot of that is off of the strength of an N64 game called Superman. Yes, Superman 64, notorious as one of the worst games ever made. Uh, We covered it on my last show, Ultra 64, so definitely check out that episode. We also covered Blues Brothers 2000, also by Titus, which we will be discussing again next week. But today we're talking about the NES and the Super NES versions. We played a little bit of both because uh, we didn't really feel we got the full experience (laughs) the first time. Um, I've been complaining over and over about games that uh, have two or movies that have two title characters that get turned into single player only games like Charlie's Angels and Wayne's World Uh, I take that back I take that back (laughs) because I think I've forgotten how bad two player games were around this time they really didn't get the balance right so the Blues Brothers is a two player game you can't play as Jake and Elwood simultaneously but there's a problem with this. Okay. The, uh, all right. Well, first of all, let's try and tackle a little bit of the style and the plot of this game because it is absolutely bizarre. Um, this this whole thing is styled to look kind of like a Saturday morning cartoon that, to my knowledge, never existed. So these are kind of loosely adapted animated versions of Jake and Elwood Blues. It's a side-scrolling platformer, so you're hopping and bopping your way through this entire level. Except there's no bopping. You're doing a lot of hopping. There, you it's have an no... anti-violence. Mo- like it's completely 
it, it's really funny you say that it's that, but you definitely get shot by a cop. Yeah, but <laughs> um but like the um like the movie, Jake and Elwood do not fire a single shot. They don't pick up a gun. Yeah. Uh there's no swords, there's nothing. The that 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 at least is honoring the they only source get material. Shot out. Yeah. yeah. And eggs thrown at them. Yes. Wait, yeah, they get eggs pooped out. That didn't happen in the movie, but it happens in the game. Like Right from the get-go, the first level is a department store in Chicago, allegedly, they, that you're okay, supposed no, to be they, making your way through. They say it's a department store. It's just pieces of metal, like gray metal platforms. It's a platform side scroller that there's like, they didn't, They I think maybe the first two seconds they have storefronts. Yeah. Uh, and then they just be like, let's just forget the storefronts. Right. Okay. Because once so, you get inside this store, it's almost entirely water. It is deep shark tanks. Okay. Like I have never been to a department store that has a shark tank big enough for you to walk around in. Nor do I have I been to a department store that has massive trees growing on the ceiling <laughs> or on the roof. Uh, I mean. When we played the Gremlins game, it was like it took place in an office building and. It at least somewhat reasonably seemed like it could be an office building. Sure. This one has a similar feel to kind of Wayne's World where it's it's as if a game was made and then they slapped Blues Brothers art and music onto it and said, yeah. "Hey, Merry Christmas. Here's the game." Because it doesn't it doesn't make sense. No. The only thing that is in the game that is also in the movie is that the police are also after you. Yes. Um and the music, the music, and then which the they, music, which honestly, of the games of this era that we've played, might have one of the best soundtracks. The, the music sounds good, though it does. It's it's a it fun has, little rendition of "Everybody Needs Somebody to Love" that kind of plays in a loop. They've got a couple of like bluesier sounding songs, like probably more blues content than in the yeah. movie, almost, which makes me really sad. And I'm gonna throw in a fun fact. Uh, these guys see me do it all the time, but whenever we do these, I usually hear something, and I'm like wait a minute and then i look something up real quick and i just had one uh titus Mm -hmm. is the company that in like 2003 2004 bought interplay interactive who was dying at the time and then fully killed it off leading to the death of fallout for like 15 years before bethesda bought the ip from them that's right yeah um which was super interesting to me because i was like when i first knew of this i'm like i've never heard of this company before uh and now i'm getting like the backstory of this company there's a lot of interesting Um, stuff to dig into with titus we covered a lot on our uh, uh ultra 64 because most of the like a lot of their games when they uh, shut down were being developed for the Nintendo 64. So there are a lot of like fully finished N64 games out there that were just never released. Yeah, it's super interesting. And that I in having a game like this to me kind of like lends at least some kind of like connotation to the company. Of yeah. Like, OK, this definitely seems like it was more of a cash grab type of thing and where they had somebody make a game. That if they would have called it anything else, maybe it would have made more sense. But it was yeah. still an infuriatingly, just an infuriating game. I, it was, I, it was I, difficult and there was no guidance, so you didn't know where you were going. And uh, we ended up putting on a speed run and watching the speed run after yes. we tried a lot to do this. Uh, there's a mechanic where the select button toggles the camera from one player to the other. That's what we need to talk about here with the two-player. Okay, so in a lot of two-player games, you want to keep the characters on the same screen so they don't get left behind, right? Which means you'll usually be limited. If you try and scroll, scroll to the right, but if your other guy is lagging behind, you'll stop where their body stops, you know? That does not happen in this game. You can run way ahead of your counterpart, or like your counterpart can miss a jump and fall down below. They are not dead down there. They are not going to catch back up to you in some way. They are just still there taking unseen damage. Yeah, like you said, if you press the select button, you can shift the focus over to the other person. But you need to do it for the other person. Like, if you're being Jake, you need to press the select button to send it over to Elwood. Yeah, unlike many games that are similar to this... um you know Mario, all that stuff. Uh, into player, usually the camera, 
does its best to keep both players on screen. Yeah. This one does not. It follows just one person, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and so passing it back and forth becomes incredibly uh, necessary, especially because a lot of the things are just weird, and there's not a lot of safe spots because there'll be certain areas where, like, this weird green spike ball <laughs> is just following you. Which is, of course, a staple in Chicago department stores. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Chicago. Balls, yeah. I've yeah. seen them all the time. Uh, they also have things like if you fall into a certain shark tank, you can land on the back of a shark that's wearing goggles. Now, and you and instead of taking damage, the animation ships and you are riding on this thing, which is, sounds fun, right? That's like Donkey Kong Country. You can ride on a little swordfish and like use its little needle nose to attack enemies. Except that doesn't happen here. You just move back and forth until you jump off of the shark and then the shark dies. Uh, I did note... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, later on, the, you can ride hounds and you can ride hounds across spikes. So yes. that's useful. But the shark mechanism is real pointless. And I, I did notice that it seems as though when you're riding the dog, the hound, or if you're riding the shark... You can kill things if you run into it. However, you can only go left and right. The yeah. second you press a button, no matter what it is, or at least the second you press the jump button, which is the only button that really does anything, yeah. it kills the shark, and then you just jump. And so all of the sharks that we encountered and that we saw throughout the entire playthrough of the game were in pits that nothing else was in. Yes. So it was a useless mechanic for them. That's the aggravating thing, because you could look at games of this era and just say, like, okay, whatever, it's just a bunch of random platformer shit. But, like, Mario has an internal logic. Mm -hmm. There's something in that world that makes sense. It's cohesive, like, and it brings you in in a way that makes sense. This game has no internal logic And it was definitely heavily influenced by Mario. Very much. Very, very. Even to the point where they have... uh, Transportation pipes and yes. Well, okay, you say they have transportation pipes, but they have one. Well, they <laughs> and, that that means they have fine a they, transportation they do, pipe. They do have it. <laughs> they, have, but they have more than one. Lending to the inconsistency of this game, they they have the mar the typical Mario transportation pipe where you jump in it and it, like you go you end up at the other side as if it was like a teleport pipe. Yeah, and then you have ones that just take you through squiggly. Those lines, aren't those aren't pipes. Those are, are water slides. Which are yeah. basically yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like how you were like, yes, yes, Jennifer, you're right. There's yes, water slides. Definitely correct. I'm on board with this. Yes. Um, and so it's just like this super weird thing where, like you said, there's no, there's no like rhyme and reason to the game. There's no consistency. You in the first level, you're trying to get, scale this department store. Yeah. And you end up outside on the roof climbing a tree. And then you jump across some clouds, and then you just jump off at a certain point, and hey, you landed on the square that starts the next level. It's like you you couldn't see anything. To be Why clear, they just put a gate there, like a little the, door. To be clear, was, yeah, we we're we're gleaning all of this from the walkthrough because we never got that far because the the game the the layout of this game makes wants uh, it wants you to make some crazy leaps that were are really unintuitive yeah you it's the guy was making jumps out of sight in landing on things that were where he was supposed to go or where they were supposed to go and it was it was crazy the amount of times throughout this play where the only way that you would actually know where to go is if you already knew where to go. Yeah. Like, I think that they were extending out, because I think this game, the the watch, the playthrough that we watched was 15 minutes. Yeah. And they were kind of speedrunning it, obviously. But they weren't doing it very efficiently. This wasn't, like, the record for the game or anything. But uh, it definitely feels like they were trying to make the game longer by just making you have to try every option. Yeah. Until you found the one that, the one blind jump that landed you on the right thing. Yeah, you could blindly jump off of that one to the next right thing. I have to say that, uh, listeners, as you know, I'm jump challenged. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Steve and Justin are not jump challenged, and yeah, they they no no you no no I've seen you guys jump many to- like <laughs> many many a video game that we have played involves uh, jumping uh, as most as a lot of video games do. Uh, but y- the fact that you two couldn't get past this jump that was within the first like five minutes like was real. Uh, uh, I don't know. Like it's feeded the secret like 
petty self inside me. Um, it's not that secret. We know. We, we've we've met Petty J Ban, and that was okay. that was the thing. At one point, J Ban goes because uh, we we basically gave up on doing two player at one point because we realized that this is just insanely too complicated for a game that's already difficult oh and so, we, we were ripping our hair out like trying to go back yeah. and forth because if one of us misses the jump then we need to wait for the other one to come back but in the meantime we're vulnerable to spikes because we're yes. off screen still alive and this the, there wasn't any safe or there wasn't many safe spots and so at one point j band's playing and she goes can one of you guys just take and get me past this jump and i'm like no we possibly can however we struggled heavily with this one and we did not make it much further no <laughs> you were already 20 seconds uh of trial and error from where we were at but <laughs> like, luckily we far luckily we were able to queue up the super nes version of this game as well which is an entirely different beast and in extremely inscrutable in its own way not no blues in the soundtrack it's kind of like uh it sounds like d light or so like like early 90s house music or something this like, is again it's another game that feels like they made a game and then slapped Blues Brothers art and stuff on it, except all that they slapped on this game was they changed the attack into throwing records. Yes. And then they put the sprites of the characters to be the Blues Brothers, because unlike in the first one where everything, well, okay, where multiple things at least seem to be relevant to it, you were in Chicago, you were doing things, we're in like a fantasy Mario land with just the Blues Brothers. We fight robot trucks and jump on bouncy mushrooms. Like, <laughs> we, we get attacked by no like big sense. fly bird things, and then there's big like bear traps. And occasionally you'll get a you'll eat a cake and it'll make you like rip your shirt off and you're super buff for a few seconds, but <laughs> it's you're super buff until you get hit the next time. Yes, yeah, it's wild. So it's kind of just like an extra hit point, but like in the meantime, you get to see like it's, super jacked John Belushi it's walking around. It's legitimately like a generic Mario game. It is completely insane. And again, like, this is a, a game that has such massive leaps in logic. Now I will say they fixed the two-player problem to a slight degree whereas like you can't lose the other one way off the screen like if somebody falls off the screen they die and like you don't need to worry about going back and retrieving them you also have a mechanic where you can pick up the other brother and like throw them a little bit for an extra bounce but that doesn't come into play very often because as as we were talking about the game is designed to be beatable with one player yeah which means that all of that stuff just means that you can get one of the players ahead and the other person still has to go do it the intended way anyway. Yeah. And that intended way is almost always off screen. So you just, you just play this game one player. Yeah. Basically. I mean, don't play it two player. How long was it taking us to figure out how to get up the level? The mysterious mushrooms in trees. Yes. It took us forever to figure that out. And then after we figured that out, we took so much time, like being mildly careful and like trying to keep the two of us together and then dying because it was such a pain. The the natural logic (laughs) of games like this is you start on the left, you work your way right. The right is the end of the level. We did that. We made it all the way to the right. We got our super beef cake cupcake and we we, uh, got our invincibility jukebox and we fought all the bear traps. Everything you expect in a Blues Brothers game. (laughs) And then there was nothing happening until we realized that there were mushrooms very carefully hidden in the tops of trees that we really had no indication that they were there that would take us to these platforms that were floating up in the sky which again no indication that those are there so it's just a lot of like bullshit trial and error like walking back and forth chucking records which are finite by the way you run out of records to throw and you can waste records by throwing them at your brother instead of throwing them at enemies and also to clarify the enemies respawn they do. And so the fact that you have a finite amount of records is infuriating. Yeah. Because that means you have a limited number of attempts before you just have to dodge real good. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there, after a while, like, there there are infinite lives in this game. So after a while, I just felt like I was going insane. Where I'm just, like, in this horrible Sisyphean loop where we're constantly pushing the boulder up the hill. And then it just gets snatched away we, from us. We push the boulder up the hill and then find out that there's another hill at the top of that hill. We have to push it the other way. And there's much mushrooms um, hidden in that hill and we can't see him and, mm-hmm. and the the thing about this is like 
the hidden mushrooms are you're on a platform that's a little higher up and you have to jump to a tree. Yeah. You can just see the edge of that tree. You can't see the mushroom in the frame. Which means that you jump, you do kind of like a blind leap over onto here, and then you have to do it again to get to the next mushroom in a tree, and then from there you get to an, a mushroom that's All on a while keeping your brother in view. Yes. yes. Which literally can't happen, because if the brothers collide in midair, which probably would happen during this, unless your timing is real good. It happens uh, in real life. Me and my brother jumped at each other yeah. once and we fell. <laughs> well, once yeah. you collide, you pick up the other one and it just ruins everything. It just ruins everything. That might be the secret, is one brother picks up the other one and then just does all the jumping. I've, I've come to loathe this mechanic. Ailish and I have been playing the newest Yoshi game on the mm-hmm. Switch and that game has a mechanic where like if you jump in the same space you automatically jump on the other one's back and mm-hmm. it ruins your flow completely drives me insane and that's the same thing that happens in this game as well it's really infuriating i want to ask you guys this is this super nes game the biggest disconnect between the source material and the game that we've experienced so far absolutely because i feel like even the Vertigo game, which is a very, very, very <laughs> loose adaptation of the Hitchcock movie, it's hitting some of the same beats. This is just completely off in left field, and it's just like, oh yeah, the we have, we own we paid a bunch of money for this Blues Brothers license. Like, I guess we might as well use it on this bad Mario game. Like, it's such a huge disconnect. It has nothing I to do with anything that this series has ever established. Completely agree on the Super NES game. Uh, on the NES game, at least they have some blues music. Yeah. Like, they, yeah. They, there's a huge disconnect in the reality of the game. Like, it, it's real stupid. Uh, like, and they, they have interstitial, like, uh, cards that are just, like, they don't even follow the plot of the movie. Not really. It was literally, like... Do you think you can navigate a department store while riding sharks with uh, goggles and fighting police officers? And I'm like, what? Oh, don't forget fighting frozen pee. Yeah, <laughs> frozen pee. You have to watch out for P-E-E-S. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, but again, that doesn't make any more sense than like fighting fighting the vegetable frozen peas. Do you think make that any more was a than... deliberate joke by the developers? No. Or was it a, a misspelling? I think it's a it's a it misspelling. Might have been a it's, it's a French developer. French company, yeah. yeah, I think but I think they just let, didn't spell it. This just reminded me of the worst part of the NES game. There's elevators. And mm. the elevators break if you stand on them for more than two seconds. And it takes five seconds or more to get up the elevator you, shaft. You need to so you jump to, up and down on them. Yeah. You have to just keep jumping on an elevator. That's the point of the elevator is so you don't have to jump. Yeah, you're actually, if you're in an elevator, you're specifically not supposed to jump because it'll make it stop. It's, so and again, in two-player, this is impossible to do because unless you are, your uh, timing is exactly right, it's going to fuck everything up. Oh, man. These these were maddening games. They yeah. were so frustrating. They were more maddening than Madden. And that game has Madden in the title. <laughs> uh, that makes no sense. I don't care. Uh, I, that makes more sense than anything in these I games. Mean, I mean, my brain went games. to John Madden. So there you go. We at least went the same direction. Okay, perfect. At least we're uh, on the same weird fun page. Fun fact, there is a football player slash commentator named John Madden, and there's also a hockey player named John Madden. No relationship. Oh, interesting. Did not but, know that. Uh, yeah. But I, when I first heard about him, I was like, Thanks John Madden news. Why? Yes. There's more than one John Madden? Did they clone him? There's what also a uh, Canadian filmmaker named John Madden. No, it's Guy Madden. Fuck, I fucked that up. Okay, never mind. Jai never mind. Madden. Disregard. A diary diary of, a, of a Dracula fans. Uh, disregard. Um, do we have anything else to say about the first Blues Brothers? We're going to be back on this topic next I week. I can say Blues a lot Brothers of 2000. things, but none of them are positive. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and my fair. mom said something about that. And I break it often, and I've broken it a lot already. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, let's move on to our rankings. I have a pretty good idea of where most of us are going to stand on this, but uh, this week, every week we rank the games based on uh, the following scale. Is it a good movie, good game, a bad movie, bad game, or some combination of those elements in between? Uh, I think I've already laid out my cards. I think this is a good movie, terrible couple of games. <laughs> um, pretty frustratingly terrible. They're not even terrible in a fun way. They're just maddening. Uh, I'm going to say good. Uh good movie a classic movie sure. i would say classic uh a classic musical um that should be watched um 
<laughs> though <laughs> you might need to pause it because it's really, really long. Yes. Um, and a terrible game unless you are like one of the like the top 1% of gamers and then this might be a nice challenge for you. I mean, that, that the person who speed ran this, I'm genuinely envious of their skills that they were able to they do this. They still died like twice trying to do it. Yes, exactly. So, exactly. Because I was they, like, wait a minute. Again, I, I will always say it's a sign of bad game design if you cannot beat the game without taking damage. And this is one of those games that you cannot beat without taking uh, damage. I think especially in a game like this where you have so few hits... And no um, way to defend yourself. Like there are some games like I'm really excited about the Armored Core game coming out. Oh, Those yeah. games are hard to get through without taking hits. Sure. However, uh, that's part of it. Um, yeah. It, did you say you said good movie, bad game? Yeah. You, you got yours through. Sorry, I, I got aggravated <laughs> again and forgot what was happening. Um, yeah, I'd say it was a good movie. It was a long ass movie, but a good movie. Yeah. Uh, games are so bad they're so bad <laughs> so dumb oh such a weird idea and the fact that they were kind of the mascots of titus for a little bit it's just that i i, I want to know the calculus that went into like how much money they spent on this license why they thought this was suddenly relevant 12 years after the movie came out 10 years after the lead actor had been dead like i'm really curious about the calculus that went into that but that's a story for another time, uh, perhaps next week, because next week we are continuing and closing out our miniseries by talking about Blues Brothers 2000, the long-delayed sequel to the film, uh, and the N64 game that came along with it. Uh, now, once again, I've covered this on my other show, Ultra 64, but I'm excited to go back and play this again with fresh eyes and, uh, and to watch the movie alongside this time. So... Be sure to tune in for that next week. We You can find us uh, at cinemarcade at gmail.com or at cinemarcadepodcast at, on Instagram. And uh, you can find us there. Send us a letter. Send us a note. Send us a comment. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, uh, give us a five-star rating and review. That really, really goes a long way to getting the show noticed. And uh, I and I think that's about it for the evening. Uh, we will see you next week for Blues Brothers 2000. Uh, I have a request. Oh, send yes. me a love letter. Send you a love letter? Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Send, yeah. send Justin a love letter. Did just, the song Everybody Needs Somebody to Love really get to you? <laughs> no, I just, he said send a letter, and I was like, send me a love letter. Send some erotic send, fan fiction of Justin. <laughs> send, send me uh, something nice. Yes. Uh, in text format. Yes, absolutely. Not too dirty. Not too dirty. I'll censor it out. All right, everybody. Yeah, I need, I need my parent to make sure it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. We will see you next time for Blues Brothers 2000. Send those love letters. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.